Welcome to Real Smart with Maura Neal and Cheryl King, a new podcast about everything real estate. One realtor, one closing attorney, sometimes two different opinions wrapped up in one brand new podcast. Good morning, Maura. Hey there, Cheryl. How are you? I am doing just fine. What are you doing today? (laughs) Funny you ask. I'm recording the first episode of our podcast. (gasps) So am I. And isn't it funny, we've only been talking about this for two years now? Something like that. I think we, it's, been, it's been a topic of conversation for a long time, and I'm very excited that we're finally here doing it. It has been a long time coming. The only thing that I can say is I think that we have in the last couple of years accumulated even more topics, and I am looking very forward to this. So am I. So what have you been up to today? You mentioned no closings today. It's a bank holiday. It's a three-day weekend, so a lot of our clients are probably enjoying that. But what else have you been up to? Uh, Fixing title problems. We still have uh, a lot of things that will happen when we're pulling titles, so I've been working on some of that, answering questions. Uh, What have you been doing today, though? Well... You know Ben, my husband, who's also my business partner. He and I spent about two and a half hours this morning cleaning Joro spiders and their webs off of one of our new listings to get it ready for photos. I am terrified to ask this question, but what the heck is a Joro spider? They are huge, and if you are a person who doesn't enjoy spiders in general, (laughs) they're kind of terrifying. But according to Google... They are an invasive but relatively harmless species. And one thing I can say, to their credit, as I try to see the positive in the creepy crawlies, they do help to control other uh, infestive populations. So we found a lot of stink bugs in their webs, and you know they also are invasive and, and pretty disgusting themselves. So while I didn't want my listing to look like a haunted house or uh, to be scary to buyers, and we did need to clean their webs off because it is a vacant property, it wasn't the most fun way to spend my Monday morning. I I, I like to think of the positive, uh, even when it's not our Halloween month, about the the wonderful things that spiders and bats and and all of those Snakes. uh, snakes, all of those sorts of animals do. It takes everything in me to give them the benefit of the doubt that I am sure that they are due. It is one of those things that I can say when I hear stories from real estate agents about the things that they do to get properties ready and to take care of things and take care of issues as they come up. It is, uh, that comes definitely under the list of, I didn't know you guys did that. Well, I will say under normal circumstances, it's not something that I would love to have a regular part of my job. (laughs) But since this is a vacant property, our clients live many states away and we are inheriting it as a new listing to us but it's not a new listing to the market it has been listed previously during the summer but unfortunately that listing was right after the market began to shift and those interest rates went up so we are i wouldn't say we're giving it more attention than we would give any listing but it definitely needed some tweaks to make it more attractive to buyers when it comes back on the market Well, the other question is, because it has been a property that's been on the market before, what are the other things that you really need to be thinking about as an agent that you need to do to help one of these properties sell? I'm not going to in any way imply that the previous listing agent didn't care about spiders, because as I was talking to Ben about this over the weekend, the reason we went this morning to clean off the spiders and their webs was because our photos were today at noon. Those spiders are industrious little buggers and they are gonna rebuild those webs probably within the next 24 hours. So that's going to be something that we're gonna have to get someone to keep an eye on. 
To your question about what else have we had to think about, because the market has shifted, because interest rates are volatile and buyers are expressing uncertainty, and we're heading into a midterm election in the next 30 days, the uncertainty in the market is something that makes the listing process even more sensitive. So in addition to removing some tchotchkes and some just unnecessary things from the home and putting them in storage, we also had to think long and hard about the listing price. I'm absolutely certain that because this property was on the market for, I guess, about 90 days and it didn't get any serious interest, that's the market telling us that buyers were rejecting the price. And it really wasn't in line with the comparable sales. So we've also had to have that conversation. And that's a little difficult to have with our sellers, especially coming off of a hot market. 12 to 24 months of you basically stick a sign in the yard and you can pretty much be guaranteed to have some level of interest. Uh, and and the all of the ones that we had where, you know, whatever you ended up listing it at, you ran up from there. Whether you think that's a good or a bad thing is, you know, is anyone's guess at this point. Obviously, it's great for the sellers that were able to sell then. We are heading into a time where we don't know and people will ask, people ask me in closings, what do you think, you know, what do you think a year from now is going to look like? And what do you think two years from now is going to look like? And I'm like, well, you know, my, my crystal ball's on the fritz right now. I, I have it, I have it in the shop. I am hopeful they will be able to fix it, but, but I legitimately don't know. So, you know, what are the things that, you know, as an agent you're doing to try and, and figure out what amounts to a sweet spot right now, right? I think, first of all, when you consult an expert or someone that you perceive to be an expert, in other words, when you call a realtor and you discuss comparable sales with them, looking at where things have sold and not trying to project how much percentage over those sales you can get for your home, because we're not in that market anymore. We're not necessarily in a market where you're going to get more than your asking price. In fact, buyers are having the benefit of having even more and more leverage these days. That's a good thing, though. That's an indicator of a balanced market. So getting fair market value for a property is fair, you know? In a market that is clearly transitioning, right? So, you know, I have uh, good friends that are that were not planning on putting their house uh, for sale uh, down in South Georgia. Uh, they mentioned to one person that they may be doing it at some point within about an hour. They got a they got a call from an agent that they had someone ready, willing, and able. Now they're afraid that price they listed might have been too low because it only took about an hour, uh, not even on the market to to get one but how do you how do you figure out these days and and you know and everyone needs to realize buyers and sellers need to realize that hindsight is completely 2020 and and there are going to be things you never know uh, as to what you possibly could have gotten i mean what's the best way to figure out as an agent what do you do to figure out what the right price is to list a property these days to quickly address the the friend in South Georgia, there are still buyers who have not found the right property for them or who exited the market because they were constantly being beat out in multiple offer situations. When new properties come up that fit their criteria, it does not surprise me that they would jump in. That doesn't necessarily say to me that that price was too low. That means there has been a buyer waiting for a property like that one to come on the market, probably for quite some time. In most cases, we need to price based on what has already sold that is a comparable size, age, that has a comparable level of upgrades. And most appraisers are going to want you to stay either within the same neighborhood or within a mile. 
and sales within the last six months because they've really tightened the criteria and what they're willing to look at. But a property like the one that we were working on this morning, since it had already been on the market for three months with a market that had rejected the price, we went back to what I consider to be a tried and true tool, which is introducing the idea of the pre-listing appraisal to our clients in addition to the comparable sales and the market analysis that I ran for them. And I have obviously, not only do I do closings every day, but I do a lot of teaching for agents and things like that. I have probably heard the words pre-listing appraisal come out of your mouth more often than I've heard any other agent or all of them put together, right? So talk about that a little bit. You're asking a seller to go ahead and um, and say, I'm going to pay for this. I think that it is valuable. And, and I know as someone who teaches to real estate agents and happens to hold a real estate license, that a lot of times the agents will put together and determine what the list price is going to be by doing a market analysis. But it also gives me pause, quite frankly, that I, I think that agents have much, much, much more knowledge than 99.9% of the people out there in terms of what the market's doing. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a limit as to as to what you can figure out. And I think it is something that agents really need to be thinking about, about actually having an appraiser out there and making an official determination because, you know, someone holding an appraiser's license, that's a completely different, different animal. And this is what they do. Absolutely. One of the things that I tell sellers is a pre-listing appraisal is not something that we want to use 100% of the time. Some neighborhoods have enough sales and enough truly comparable sales, similar floor plans, similar age, similar level of upgrades that you can really compare apples to apples. It's when we run into a situation where either there are few or no comparable sales because we've had such low inventory over the last 12, 18, 24 months. But also the listing agent stands to make a commission based on the price that they quote unquote assign the home. The appraiser literally makes a one-time fee. So they are a truly unbiased third party and they don't stand to make more money if the house sells for more. They don't stand to make their money more quickly if they underprice the home. They make their fee upfront at the time the appraisal is done. And there's no question, especially in a volatile or a shifting market, what their valuation is based on other than their knowledge and their experience. And what what is the interaction between the listing agent and the appraiser with regard to what information are you giving them? What, what information are they asking for? When you do appraisals in a purchase market, you know, we have really set up a barrier between the appraiser and, and everyone else in the world because too much interaction when you're talking about the appraiser who's representing a lender led not in small part to our mortgage meltdown mm. uh, because you had appraisers that were being influenced right. uh, by loan officers more often than anyone else because the loan officers were the ones that were directly giving them business <laughs> every single month. So, you know, what is the interaction between a listing agent and an appraiser when you're really talking about this very particular type of service doing it pre-listing? As I said earlier, I always do my own market analysis and I give my clients an idea of what my recommended price range is based on that analysis. Even when I can't really find comparable sales, I still try to give them an idea of what I think the price should be. I don't give that number to the appraiser and I tell my clients, I want to know if his idea and my idea are in line. 
But we do give them some information, and it's the same information that I will give an appraiser when we are in a purchase contract situation. Yes, there's a barrier between them and the lender, but either agent is allowed to meet with and talk to that appraiser. So we want them to know the age of the roof, the age of the HVAC, the systems that keep that house running that do wear out over time and could potentially cost that buyer money. If that HVAC or that water heater or that roof are brand new, that's a lot less outlay that that new owner might have in an immediate time frame than if the roof is 20 years old and the HVAC is near the end of its life. So I want them to have that information. I want them to know about the mechanics and the systems of the home and the ages and the work that has been done to bring the home into the condition that it's in now. But I don't want them to know what I've discussed with my clients as far as price because I truly want to know if we are in line with each other. And I will say, to give myself a little pat on the back, nine times out of 10, we're pretty spot on, which shows me that A, it creates more of a feeling of confidence that that seller has in what I'm telling them. If, if they don't know me, if they've never worked with me before, if they're questioning the price we're giving, to have a third party who truly has nothing more to gain or lose by giving evaluation, it's, it creates confidence. But if you hire the right appraiser who has an appraisal guarantee, for example, we know a company here in Metro Atlanta, DS Murphy, right. they offer uh, a consultation appraisal guarantee where they say, if you then go under contract at or below their price and the buyer's lender requires an appraisal and that appraisal value comes in low, they will write a rebuttal letter for you and they will go to bat for you essentially to help bring that value up to the extent that they can to where the contract is or to where their appraisal value was. And that's something that, you know, I, there, was, there wasn't as much of sort of those fighting the appraisals um, that happened before the mortgage meltdown because all the influence happened before they did the appraisal to begin with. But I think what, you know, what agents and what buyers and sellers do need to understand is that, you know, obviously you have better or worse information, you have better or worse appraisals, you have legitimate differences of opinion that have nothing to do with the integrity mm -hmm. or the intelligence of the appraiser in, involved, you know, you do have that ability. If you get an appraisal that hasn't come in where you want, you probably need to be looking at the options of, is it viable that we, that we do something to try and, you know, quote unquote, fight this appraisal? Sure. And I think that's also in the best interests of all parties. I've heard some people make the argument over the years that a buyer should never be involved with or supporting that appraisal rebuttal if their appraisal came in low. But oftentimes, we have to remember that the benefit of the pre-listing appraisal is it creates a meeting of the minds, right? Between the listing agent, who is the perceived expert on the market, and the appraiser, who's the perceived expert on valuation. When you have a low appraisal come in during a contract period, the buyer's agent and the seller's agent, as well as the buyer and the seller, should be involved and actively supporting a rebuttal if they truly believe that the contract value is fair. Because the seller wants to sell and the buyer wants to buy. And you have a lot of sunk cost in, like if, for the parties, not just hard money. I'm talking about like time and dedication and attention. And you've already planned out the furniture that you're going to get for, you know, or the color you're going to paint. I agree with you. I think that 
you know, what we all have to remember is that lenders use two things as the indication of the value of a property. One of them is the appraisal. The other is what the parties negotiated. Mm-hmm. And a third party where, where the buyer and seller are not related to one another. And that is one indication of what the value of the property is. It's just that they're going to use whichever the lowest number is in terms of setting where the loan amount is going to be. Well, and that is because the appraisal during the contract process is not truly to protect the buyer. That is to protect the lender's interests in the mortgage. So when a buyer's agent or a buyer says to me, we should just demand that they reduce the price and not actively be involved in the rebuttal, that's counter to my instincts, which is you have a seller who wants to sell and a buyer who wants to buy. That appraiser during the contract period is not there to protect the buyer's interest. No. Whereas the pre-listing appraisal is there to help the seller establish a fair market value and also to help future potential buyers see that value in the property by way of an unbiased third party who brings a valuation. That seems like a good place for us to take a quick break. So we'll be right back. Welcome back. We were discussing before the break on the Real Smart podcast the value of pre-listing appraisals and the role they play in the appraisal rebuttal process. Cheryl, why don't you pick up where we left off? When I do teaching for agents, we talk about having uh, having a lot of tools in your tool belt, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, you know, to your point, it's not something that you would you would pull out. It's not the hammer you use every time, right? Um, but there are times when you need that and when you have it there and having it available uh, in order to help when you actually get a contract on it is just icing on the cake at that point. Absolutely. And there are several times when we recommend it to our clients, especially now that the market has shifted, interest rates are all over the place. They're certainly not going to be back down at 2.9% again anytime soon. I don't think we would want to have happen the things that we would need to have happen to send it back down exactly. into the twos. That's, that's the issue. Everyone wants them to go lower, but you don't necessarily want what causes them to go lower. Exactly. But so to recap some of those times when you as a seller or you as a listing agent, depending on who is listening to this, may want to utilize that tool in your tool belt, which is the pre-listing appraisal. If there are very few or no comparable sales because of the inventory problems we've had over the last... Well, and talk about what is a comparable, right? Again, you're trying to find an apple-to-apple comparison. So depending upon the nature of the property, if you're inside of a planned unit development where they were all built by the same builder, your job's a lot easier. And there's only four floor plans. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But custom homes or sometimes older homes, for example, this listing we're talking about from this morning, it was built in the 80s in a neighborhood where they're not cookie cutter. They don't all look the same and the floor plans are not the same. So we're trying to find comparable in age, style, In other words, ranch versus two-story, not the same style. Split level versus two-story, not the same style. So we're trying to find the same style home of the same age range with the same level of upgrades or not. Right. (laughs) And um, sold in the last six months or so. We want basement to basement or no basement to no basement. Again, looking at style. Or if your home is just truly, truly unique and unlike any other. You know, maybe your home sits on 20 acres in an area where most properties are on a third of an acre little postage stamp, or you have a truly unique 
floor plan layout, you have a guest house, you have a pool when no one else has a pool. Or honestly, like this house we're talking about this morning, when you really just need to give buyers more confidence in the home's value because it has been listed previously. And coming off of our spring market, especially, interest rates went up in what, end of May, early June? Yeah. Uh, This house was listed from June until August. And when buyers are used to seeing a home fly off the market, even three or four weeks now, the first question they're asking is, why didn't it sell? What's wrong with the house? And why didn't it sell? So what I try to tell my buyers when I'm on the buying side is sometimes it really is just that the house was overpriced and they couldn't come to an agreement or buyers didn't want to go in and make an offer thinking, well, there's no way the seller is going to accept my offer because it's so much lower than what they're asking. So when you inherit that listing, when you're the second or the third agent, having that pre-listing appraisal as a tool, because now not only does our seller have confidence in the price that we recommended, and by the way, my price was exactly what came in on the appraisal, which makes me happy. Congratulations. Thank you. But it gave them confidence that the reduction I was asking them to make in their listing was not just because I wanted a quick sale and a quick check. It's because I truly feel that's where the price should be. We can use that appraisal now as a marketing tool. We can say priced at October 2022 appraisal value. Buyers will see that. Their agents will see that. They may ask to see a copy of the appraisal, which is fine. That it, We're using it to be transparent that we're now asking the fair market value instead of an inflated value that was coming off of a very crazy seller's market in the spring. So the, and that so that's something that you would actually put in like the listing notes so that other agents are seeing that that exists. Yes, we will put that in the private remarks that the other agents see mm-hmm. that they uh, appraisal is available upon request. We'll also put it in the public remarks that the consumers can see, which says price based on October 2022 appraisal value. Amazing. And I think that that you know, knock on wood, that's the magic bullet that it will take to get this particular listing sold. But I highly recommend it, not for every property, but for agents who are the second or third agent, or you're getting a unique listing, or there just aren't comps that you can find that truly help you to be able to be on the shadow of a doubt, give your clients a strong price recommendation. It could be the best $500 that your seller has ever spent. Amazing. Anything else before we wrap this up? I don't think so, but I think this was a strong first episode, and I'm so excited that we're finally doing this. Congratulations for you and me, and for everyone who gets the benefit of our knowledge. (laughs) We hope you have enjoyed listening, and we really hope that you will join us for future episodes. We have a fun one coming up for you next. Do you want to give a little teaser as to what that is? Ooh, no. (laughs) You'll have to tune in next time for our second episode of Real Smart. See you then. Bye, guys. Bye.